Hey, this is Joe Donnelly, author of L.A. Man, Profiles from a Big City in a Small World. And I'm here with the great Rex Weiner, surfer, journalist, music head, raconteur, and perhaps best known, at least for these purposes, as the author of The Original Adventures of Ford Fairlane. The long-lost rock and roll detective stories and thank you very much. Good to be with you, Joe, and all the rare birds. Hey, man, it's good to be with you, too. I got, just got to tell you, I, I picked this book up when I got it, and I started reading it, and I couldn't stop. It's one of those books that I think I read in, like, you know, one sitting, interrupted by a couple bowls of cereal. It was so much fun. Um, not the least of it, it was fun for the content, which was great in and of itself, a, a fun, a fun adventure story, detective story, great noirish feel to it, without uh, feeling corny or or uh, too retro, too intentionally retro. But also for the the milieu that you tap uh, for these stories, which was the burgeoning punk and new wave scenes in in New York and then Los Angeles. So um, one of the things that I was curious about in in reading these, these were serialized in, in um, two newspapers, the LA Weekly uh, out here in Los Angeles for the, the second part of it. And the original, remind me again, Rex, where the original uh, New York uh, um, scenes took place or were published. Well, thank you, Joe. You know, coming from an LA man such as yourself, that's it's all high praise. And I, I really appreciate uh, your appreciation of uh, Ford Fairlane which was published uh, originally in 1979 in a paper called The New York Rocker. And this was the premier publication for punk, new wave, and all indie rock in New York City at the, in the late 70s. It was such a fun time. There was such a just a blossoming of alternative press, you know, especially in New York, but also here in Los Angeles in those days. I think the uh, L.A. Weekly probably just got started around 1978, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there. And, you know, there is a bunch of these great um, uh, papers in, in, in L.A. and New York that you could you could find a place to do something as, as wild and wonderful as the uh, adventures of Ford Fairlane. And I, I wonder if that, if there's such a, a, a venue for that anymore. Well, I'd like to say, uh, Joe, about the seventies that the, the economy of the, of this country at that time had enough slack in it to allow slackers to become artists. That's and that's really well put. That's exa- I mean, and that kind of lasted like almost through the 90s, right? Um, yes. You know, I think that the uh, the economy has tightened up over the years to the point where today it would be very expensive to do a paper like the New York Rocker or to live in a cold water flat somewhere on the Lower East Side. <laughs> Those don't exist anymore. Uh, but we have um, the digital realm now that allows a whole new generation of publications to exist and really allows publishers like Rare Bird, independent publishers, to follow 
in the footsteps of the underground press of the 60s and 70s. And I recently had a uh, story published in a great magazine, a publication that's both online and in print called Switchblade. And there's a whole new genre of noir and tough fiction uh, publications coming out now that uh, I think uh, there may be a resurgence of this sort of independent spirit. You know, let's remember, though, you got paid to publish uh, Ford Fairlane back in the day, right? No. You didn't? No, are you kidding? Did you part with any of his, uh, you know, many dollars he was making uh, from all the nightlife and club ads and all that kind of stuff back in the day? No, I made absolutely nothing from either the New York Rocker or the LA Weekly. It was, um, <laughs> I, I certainly didn't expect anything. You know, you were an editor of the LA Weekly from which years, Joe? From 2002 to, through 2008 or into 2008. Right. So, you know, we share some time at the LA Weekly. I was a journalist there and did cover stories. And for those, I think I got paid, you know, maybe I can't remember, but it was not much in the low hundreds at most for the cover stories that, you know, I would spend weeks or months on. But the Ford Fairlane stories were they were published in six episodes, sort of like Charles Dickens with cliffhangers at the end. Yeah. You know, tune in next week to see what happens. And uh, I'm told that the uh, editors of that era were very jealous of the space that was being given to Ford Fairlane. They would much rather have given it over to reviews of groups that were hot at the time, like the Blasters and X and... Uh, you know, the great scene that was happening. So I was lucky to get any space at all for the adventures of Ford Fairlane. Well, we're glad you did. I mean, th this is, it, it, it's, you know, holding up even better in posterity, I would venture. Um, and uh, I'm curious as to how you did it. Um, there's so much going on. And, you know, I know in your life, there was a lot going on. You're um, working hard, you're partying hard, you're you know living hard, you're writing hard, and you found time and space as a as a young person involved in all that you know energy that was around the scene back in the late '70s and early '80s to to plot out and and do this uh, you know serial detective story set in set in the world you know the the world of uh, the punk rock and new wave world, and you know Fort Fairlane was a uh, uh, is a, such a memorable character. He was a guy who was kind of an insider and an outsider in that scene at the same time. Um, uh, rock and roll detective. He was of, of it, but not necessarily in it, right? Yes, exactly. And, you know, um, in New York at the time, I was part of a group of uh, hard-drinking uh, writers, journalists that included what they used to call rock critics, you know, people like Lester Bangs, yeah. Nick Tashus. Yeah. And so we were all, as writers, in the... Like proof bona fides by being a hard liver, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We used to all hang out at a bar called the Bells of Hell. And uh, right. believe you would hear those bells ring every night. But <laughs> but the, the thing about being a writer, and you, I'm sure know this as well as 
anybody, Joe, that, you know, you're sort of in the scene, but you're also standing outside of it, observing. Yeah. And a good journalist is always something of a private eye, a detective, you know, following the clues. Yeah. I think we're a combination of voyeur and dilettante in a way. <laughs> voyeur, dilettante, and sometimes we step over the line and become uh, part of the story. The story itself. Yeah. And so, uh, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to step over the line and be more than just an observer. Um, I was tired of the journalistic pose, and every night I'd be going out to these great clubs, hearing amazing music. Uh, and wanting to write about that, but not in that sort of distant way of a rock critic or a journalist. And so I invented this character, loosely based upon myself, yeah. to be in that scene and have a stake in entering the scene. That is to say, a case that needed to be solved. And right. um, Ford Fairlane allowed me through my actual experience and my imagination to enter that scene just about as fully as, as one could imagine without actually getting up on stage and, and performing. Although I did do that too. Yeah. In a way, it feels like we might actually learn more about what the scene was really like than if you were actually had your journalist hat on. It's, well, that's that's an interesting question, and I think readers uh, who want to find the answer to that, what was it like to be alive in the uh, in the '70s in that exciting punk art culture era? I think they'll find a way into the that milieu through this book. Yeah. I think so, too. And aside from all that, aside from all the cultural history and everything, it's just fun to read I, it, it, on its own merits as a, as, a, as a propulsive sort of fun ride with, uh, with a kind of hard-boiled but, you know, good-hearted uh, character. Well, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, you know, um, it's also uh, pretty funny. I, I've been reading this to... Uh, audiences at uh, at bookstores and uh, here's a line that got a, a a laugh shall i read it to you sure ike schmidt was the lead singer for the argumentative types it was one of those computer bands from germany the kind that made music like the sound effects you hear in old sci-fi movies he was standing in the corner of the club talking too loud and weeping at the same time a real mess my guess was lewds and red wine. That's a bad mix. <laughs> Everyone knows lewds go only with white. I remember that. I also remember um, the, the prospect of, of being forced to listen to Lou Reed's metal machine music was held out as uh, was one of the tortures I think uh, um, the uh, Fort Fairlane was going to be subjected to if he didn't spill the goods. <laughs> yes. And I took the, you know, when I wrote these stories, Lester Banks was still around, and he was a good buddy of mine, and and I sort of aimed that at him. Yeah, <laughs> I got uh, the reference. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, I'm glad. See, 
Joe, you're you're the ideal reader because you you know what these references are too. You probably uh, were at some of these clubs uh, in your time. Well, and the the Lou Reed Lester Bangs um, conflict relationship, whatever, was an ongoing sidebar t- to all of this, right? Yes, absolutely. Very, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to to see it used the way uh, you used it. Now, I'm curious, you know, just getting down to the nitty gritty. Do you remember what your process was in writing these uh, these chapters? Um, did you have it plotted out? Did you just sort of you know, run on 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 energy and 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 chutzpah and and find a way to make it all uh, come together uh, once you reach the critical point in the storyline. Or how how much of it was um, was worked out before you started writing, and how much did you just sort of ride the wave? Well, it's it, you know, it's a funny thing you should ask because you know everyone wants to know how do writers do it, and um, I have a, a a workshop. No, I even I want to. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I do too. I and, think I've forgotten. <laughs> and I have a workshop that I do at my house in Baja called the Toto Santos Writers Workshop, and where you know we make an attempt to show people the way, not actually teach, but show people how it's done. But honestly, Joe, when I sat down to write these, I had no idea from one episode to the next where it was going. And so, you know, I chose a theme for the New York adventure that had to do with the conflict between guitar music, which me and my friends thought of as real rock and roll, live rock and roll, and this new electronica that was coming from Europe. And, um, And somewhere in there, I found a plot and each week I would, um, I knew there were going to be six episodes and the, it couldn't be, the episodes couldn't be more than uh, a few hundred words, maybe a, a thousand, fifteen hundred right. altogether. And having been a journalist for quite some time, even by then, somehow in my brain I had a word count and a, and a, and a way through that word count that led me from the beginning to the end of the first episode with a, a cliffhanger. And then I would say, okay, I'll figure out where it goes from here next time. <laughs> and that in. And then I'd, you know, give it a couple of days more. And the thing had sort of percolated. And yeah. then I sat down and wrote the second episode and came to the just the right point where, you know, he was life was in the balance for Ford Fairlane. And and it just went that way for six episodes and tied itself up neatly. You know, you really have to trust yourself when you're writing to, to uh, come up with the right story, I guess. (laughs) Well, like anything that's fun to read, it feels like the author had fun doing it. Do you remember if this was felt you were like, oh, this is this is like the sweet spot for me. I really, I'm really enjoying this. I'm tapping something here. Or were you, you know, just sort of like, I've got a deadline. I've got to meet it. Well, I'll tell you, you know, uh, my life at the time in New York was uh, really at a desperate state. Uh, I'd been there for ten years, and uh, 
I had a relationship falling apart. I was broke. The fact is I was desperate. And I said to myself, I'm going to write something that's going to either change my life or just go nowhere. And I went around the corner to the office of the New York Rocker, made the deal with Andy Schwartz, the editor-publisher. Yeah, he'd publish it for free. I'd give him one every couple of weeks. Uh, and I was living in the basement of the Chelsea Hotel for a little while. And you really got to work hard to get, because like the top floor is also the basement of the Chelsea Hotel. <laughs> there, there's no penthouse. <laughs> there wasn't back then. <laughs> as, as Lawrence Ferlinghetti says in one of his poems, I am a social climber climbing downwards, and the descent <laughs> is difficult. But the, the uh, and then uh, um, and then I went. Uh, so I the the first story came out of sheer desperation, and then I got a job in L.A. to uh, write a comedy show that went nowhere. And while I was in L.A., I did the same thing. I took Ford Fairlane on vacation to L.A. and got him into the L.A. Weekly. And wrote at the same sort of dead heat. I was a little more comfortable. The motel had a pool. Yeah. Um, and then that was that. And then, you know, I thought, well, that was okay. And back in New York, I got a, a job, my dream job, which was editor of Swank, the magazine for men. Uh-huh. And, you know, a girly mag. And so I was in charge of the centerfold shoots and everything. And I had an office and everything was pretty good. And then I got a call from somebody saying, hey, I'm a producer. I read these stories in the L.A. Weekly. And uh, how'd you like to come out in Hollywood and make a movie? And I hung up on him <laughs> because, Joe, I really thought it was one of my drinking buddies playing yeah. a, a gag on me. And uh, six months later, I was out here with a, a deal at Columbia Pictures. And by God, these stories did actually change my life because I would never have imagined myself in Los Angeles or Hollywood. Hell, I thought the actors made up the dialogue as they went along. And so, <laughs> Sometimes it feels like they, they're doing that. Yeah, yeah if, if you're lucky. So... You know, I, I got married, had a kid, bought a house. You know, it really, these stories, uh, however they were written for fun or desperation, they came from somewhere in that rare uh, sphere where, you know, my life actually changed. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's, the, that's a happy ending for that. Even if it didn't come out in this great reissue of the stories through Rare Bird, which is so wonderful to just have out there for posterity, if nothing else, you know, it's just nice to have it there. I'm interested in how, for those who may have seen the movie with uh, starring Andrew Dice Clay and think they already know what this is about, just explain a little bit how, how, how the film and, and, and the, uh, the original adventures of Ford Fairlane are, are, are different. Well, I have a very um, sort of love-hate relationship with that movie. I was... Uh, I wrote the original screenplay, and then I did a, a, a rewrite, and I was paid well for that, as well as for the underlying rights to my stories. 
and um, it was 20th Century Fox. And I had no idea what they were going to do with it, but I had done my version. And then they brought in a couple of other teams. Uh, and finally, the writer Dan Waters, who had a big hit with Heathers. And Dan, who I've come to know in the years since then, said to me, or he said in an interview, by the time the producers of The Adventures of Ford Fairlane came to him, every screenwriter in town had gotten a free lunch out of Ford Fairlane. <laughs> right. Um, but Which, what? You know, not bad. Spread the wealth. But yeah. Uh, um, you know, as I say, you know, he, he Ford Ford has done very well by me and many other people. But what happened was that they found this hot new comic, Andrew Dice Clay, the Dice Man. Yeah. And this is this became the vehicle for <laughs> his, you know, career in motion pictures. Yeah. Or at least he thought so and everyone else did. Yeah. And so they they made the movie an Andrew Dice Clay movie. And whatever it was originally in my original screenplay or in the in the original stories was something very different. And so, you know, when you're watching The Adventures of Ford Fairlane with Andrew Dice Clay and Priscilla Presley and Wayne Newton and uh, Gilbert Gottfried you're watching something very different from the stories that I wrote. But at the same time, here is a streetwise rock and roll detective, whatever that means, uh, in L.A. Uh, and L.A., as I intended it, is a character in the movie, as New York and L.A. are in the stories that I wrote. Yeah. And amazingly enough, in the movie, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, the office of Ford Fairlane is in Crossroads of the World, right. where I actually wrote the screenplay for the movie. <laughs> right next door to where the uh, L.A. Weekly moved. Yes, and the L.A. Review of Books is there now. So, yeah. so you know, um, even though my first screenplay was... Uh, rewritten many times and the end result is very different yet there are elements of what my intentions were that you can still see in that movie yeah and people you know do love the movie a lot they they uh, at the time his persona as a uh, as a kind of foul-mouthed uh, uh, parody of a misogynist heel turned off a lot of people, and when he was invited to host Saturday Night Live, any of the uh, women on the staff threatened to quit. In fact, the premiere for The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which was intended to be the big summer movie for 20th Century Fox, yeah. was shut down by Barry Diller, and Andrew tells this story in his, in his recently published book. Because the the feminist backlash, and I don't blame them, but the feminist backlash was pretty heavy at that time. And um, so, you know, what was supposed to be a big summer movie turned into a big summer flop. Yeah, but and it's gone so, on to have quite a life of cult as a cult film and cult favorite. Yes, I still get checks for you know thirty six dollars and 
49 cents because it was shown at 3 a.m. on cable in Kazakhstan. It's got to be some of your favorite $36.49 that you ever get. <laughs> Believe me, I can use it. <laughs> well, so let's say they're, they're, so the movie and, and, and the original uh, Adventures of Fort Fairlane are kind of like cousins, not, not twins. Yes, they're, they're cousins um, that uh, love and hate each other at the same time. Yeah. You know, the original producer, director, and writer who read the stories in the LA Weekly was Floyd Mutrix. And he loves rock and roll, is very intimately knowledgeable about rock and roll. He has two Broadway musicals. One is Million Dollar Quartet, and the other is, uh, I think it's Be My Baby or something. But uh, he really wanted Ford Fairlane to be a real character, as opposed to the cartoonish character that the Dice Man presented. Yeah. And had he been allowed to make this movie at Columbia Pictures, where the original deal was, um, we would have seen a very different Ford Fairlane, perhaps played by Mickey Rourke, who right. was first in line to do this. And um, in the book, in the Rare Bird edition, there is an interview with Floyd, as well as Jay Levin from The Weekly and Andy Schwartz from The New York Rocker. And Floyd talks about what he would have done with the stories. So there, there was an alternative reality that uh, was possible. What would a modern contemporary version of Ford Fairlane look like? Well, I think uh, Ford would be living in the last ungentrified building in his neighborhood. Mm -hmm. He'd be living in LA. He'd be lit, so El Sereno or something? Yeah, probably, you know, like that. And um, he, um, he still works in the music business, but he has two young assistants, I think, who keep him current. Uh, you know, one who uh, likes to say he's Snoop Dogg's third cousin twice removed, um, but he knows everything about hip-hop. And his other assistant is a, a young uh, Korean girl from K-Town who uh, knows everything about K-pop and uh, can show you the, the best uh, Korean barbecue joint at 3 a.m. just off Western. And Ford Fairlane- and Probably chance encounters with someone like Anthony Bourdain or Jonathan Gold, God rest his- Yes, absolutely. I think Ford Fairlane and Tony Bourdain, who, who I did know, uh, would have been great friends, probably were great friends, but now he's kind of on his own. And um, the, the main thing about Ford Fairlane is his superpower is his encyclopedic knowledge of rock and roll and pop music. So he can solve the mystery because he knows who sang bass in that doo-wop group's 45 on the B-side. Right. And, uh, he exists today in, in a world that's sort of rapidly vanishing. Um, but he knows where the samples are pulled from. Yes, exactly. He can hear that when nobody else can. That's amazing. So, you know, that's the Ford Fairlane who um, might exist today, and, and well, who knows? 
If sounds, rare, like you're, sounds like you're off and running. You should, <laughs> you should get to work. Yes, well, you know, I'm going to this uh, thing called BoucherCon, which is the world's largest gathering of mystery and crime fiction writers and readers in St. Petersburg, Florida in September. And um, I'm going to be speaking on a panel called Writers Who Rock, the intersection between music and crime fiction. And I'm really looking forward to uh, talking with uh, uh, my fellow crime fiction authors there and meeting a lot of readers who seem to be uh, enjoying the adventures or the original adventures of Ford Fairlane. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds great. Rex, where, what is, tell, just quickly, I think we're running over, but in case, uh, I, and the likely case that someone, some listeners are interested in your um, writing workshop, can you just, can you just uh, tell us about that again quickly? Yes, um, the Toto Santos Writers Workshop takes place in Baja, California, in the town of Toto Santos, All Saints, uh, in February. It's our sixth year, and you can find it at uh, totosantoswritersworkshop.com, and registration is open. We have classes in fiction, nonfiction, poetry, memoir, and stage and screen writing, which is the workshop I'll be doing uh, this February. So uh, if anyone out there listening is interested in uh, working with us in a little fishing and farming village just off the Pacific with the whales cruising by. Um, come on by. Come to the website and apply. Well, I'm looking forward to my guest appearance there. <laughs> We'd love to have you, Joe. All right. Well, thanks. Hey, man, I'm really, it's been really a blast riding shotgun with Ford Fairlane. I'm, I'm so happy to have had this opportunity to both uh, read the original adventures of Ford Fairlane from uh, Rare Bird Lit, and to get to know you better. I mean, we've been we've been crossing paths uh, uh, for years now, so it's been a pleasure to finally uh, make the connection.